Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I am Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. I'm Aaron McMahon. The Michigan football team is 2-0 after a resounding win over Washington. What went right? Did anything go wrong? Are we sold on the Wolverines as a Big Ten contender? Those questions and more asked and answered on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys. Uh, first of all, I just want to plug our um, our phone number again. I, I haven't checked it to see if anyone left us a message, but supposedly someone else is doing that for us, and they haven't gotten back to us since last week. So I don't know if no one called or they're just slacking, but that number is 616-222-1022. 616-222-1022. Drop us a message. We'll play it on the pod, or at the very least, we'll answer your question about Michigan football. Uh, or basketball or hockey, whatever, Michigan athletics related question. We can answer it on Wolverine confidential. All right, guys, Michigan beats Washington 31 to 10 on Saturday night. We're here talking on Sunday night, not even 24 hours, uh, since this game ended barely 24 hours since it started. Uh, let's get right into it. What were you most impressed with on Saturday, particular player, a position group, really anything. What impressed you the most from Michigan on Saturday? We'll start with you, Aaron. I mean, I can go the obvious route, but I guess I'll give that to Zook. That obviously, running backs are great, but like defensively, when I, when I went back and I just finished rewatching the game and looking at the stats, looking at some of the grades, and like last night when we were watching, I really thought the linebackers, specifically Josh Ross, and and the outside linebackers too, played very well. They got very, they got a ton of pressure up front. Washington couldn't do anything with the run game. They couldn't really get outside the numbers in the passing game. And it really limited Washington's ability to do anything offensively. And that's why you saw some of the stats they did. They, they had 343 yard, total yards, just 50 rushing yards. Yes, they got some through the air later, more later in the game. Uh, but Michigan, I thought for you know a second game under in a new scheme with a new coordinator, they played their game plan to a T. There's definitely something there to build off of, I thought. I, I agree with, with Aaron though too. Just to single out one guy on the on the defensive line is is Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, he's going up most of the night. He was lined up against a, a potential first round pick uh, on Washington's offensive line. Beat him with a, a bull rush in the second quarter for a sack. Also teamed up with Taylor Upshaw on, on a sack against him in, in the first quarter too. I thought Aiden was really impressive. But o- overall, I mean, I think you got to look at at the offensive line and, and the running backs. I mean, it is clear that. Michigan really is dedicated to running the ball this year, and it was effective again on Saturday. I mean, uh, some some of the game I've rewatched, it's like the, the O line created some massive holes, and when you got a guy like Blake Corum in space, you saw what he could do with it and, and, and burst out some big runs. Hassan Haskins, when, when he lowers his shoulder, he's getting extra yards continuously, especially when he gets to the second level. So, really, really impressed with those groups right there. I mean, I knew I was going last on this, so I needed three, three things just in case, you know, the first two were taken. So, you know, running backs and offensive line are the two things I've got written here initially. Those my, are the only my, two. My <laughs> two priorities, okay? Aaron doesn't take either, and yet somehow I still am left with neither. How is this possible? <laughs> Ryan takes two things. I, <laughs> That's how it's possible. Uh, All right. I guess I'll go real, real micro specific and refer to the fake punt. People are going to think I'm obsessed. Oh, with you didn't want to go I, kicker? Jake Moody nailed the 52 yarder. He did. Would have been good from 62, I think. Yeah. He had the wind at his back. People are forgetting. Hey, he's still got to be straight, though. <laughs> he misses that kick. I just don't think it's a big, such a huge deal. Michigan doesn't convert that fake punt, and Washington takes over. 
suddenly, you know, they've got a short field, they could score a touchdown there and, and we've got potentially a whole different ball game. So yeah, I'll single out Jim Harbaugh, Jay Harbaugh, whatever, whatever coach you want to say that, you know, pulled the trigger on that decision. But yeah, I'm with you guys. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Could we address that for a second? Because <laughs> after the game, Jim Harbaugh, he was asked about the fake punt and he kind of said, it sounded like, and we didn't really get a clear answer on it. It sounded like Jim nixed it originally, the call, because of the personnel Washington had on the field. But they, the other coaches on the staff, decided against it and decided to still run the fake punt. And I think it's the truth because when I went back and rewatched the game tonight, after the fake punt was converted, they panned to Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines, and he looked upset. He he didn't look like he was happy that they converted the fake punt. So <laughs> now, I, I as we know, know if, he did take issue with one of his uh, with the punter on that play. He did. So could have been. Was, he could have been fired up about that. Uh, it's but. possible. It's possible. <laughs> but he didn't look like a head coach who was happy about them converting on on a fake punt. Let me put it that way. Yeah, it was funny. He did not sound like the head coach at all. He sounded like a, a fan or something. Well, that was a crazy call, wasn't it? I wouldn't have done it. I was like, <laughs> what? All right. Yeah, but I mean, I, I certainly second what you guys said. Defense, the running game, and yes, I was going to say specifically the offensive line. The way, um, you know, I rewatched not every snap, but from what I saw, the running backs deserve a lot of credit. I don't know if we have stats on broken tackles and things like that, but didn't seem like they had to do too much to get their four or five yards. You know what I mean? Like they did a lot to to pick up even more. But, you know, to get that initial that initial push that the offensive line got was just really impressive. And Washington's defense is good. It was expected to be good coming into the year. It was good against Montana overall. And, you know, it's, it's still Pac-12 bodies, you know, some five-star recruits to several four and three um, high-level college football players that Michigan was, was moving around pretty easily. But, yeah, and then defensively, the tackling. I just thought the tackling was very sound. There were big plays that Washington hit in the past game, but for the most part, they didn't let, you know, good runs and, and good passes lead to lead to touchdowns or, you know, 15-yard gains lead to 40-yard gains, whatever you want to say. Yeah, very technically sound defensive performance. And a lot of those plays, big plays, were later in the game when, when Michigan had a little bit of extra cushion too. So it's the box score doesn't always tell tell the the whole story. And even in the even at the end of the first half, Washington had two chunk plays at the very end, but no real threat of getting any points there either. So it's like, all right, yeah, they padded their stats, but but Michigan still played really solid defensively. I think the final score of 31-10, I agree. I think that tells it more than 387 to 343 total yards. Um, that that seems a little tighter than the game really was. Michigan is now 2-0. and And guys, we talked a lot in the preseason about how important this game was in the grand scheme of the schedule. Now that it's actually been played, won by Michigan, and we know a little bit more about you know the the upcoming opponents for Michigan, do you still feel that way that this was a huge win for Michigan? Yes and no. So like I, Washington, I don't think is maybe as good as some of us thought, mm-hmm. and I don't think Michigan. And then there's a flip side of this. I don't think Michigan is going to struggle as much as maybe what we thought they would, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They seem to be getting it together and they're getting it together against decent competition. Western was no slouch either. At this point, 4-0 is a very, very, very real possibility. It's probably going to happen. I, I don't see a scenario where they lose Saturday against Northern Illinois. And then you got Rutgers coming in, you know, an improved, a better performing Rutgers team. So 4-0 is very much there for the taking. When this was discussed, you know, uh, Kirk Herbstreet mentioned this a few weeks ago on, on ESPN or with reporters. 
that the table was set for Michigan, that there was an opportunity here for them to get off on a strong foot, get some confidence, and, and get themselves kind of you know sprung into this the, the meat of the Big Ten schedule. Mm-hmm. But yeah, four and zero is a realistic possibility here right now, and I think if you're Michigan a fan. That it's a best case scenario given all of the changes in the offseason and all in the you know the lack of I guess hype around this program in the offseason. I think the the problem is with with Washington losing to Montana so much offensively and it, that carried over into Saturday too. So there was nothing offensively that I felt like Washington to lean, to lean on to to move the ball against Michigan during crucial situations. And I, I think Michigan is going to face a lot better offenses in the Big Ten. So I, I'm encouraged by the first two games. They they needed to get that win for like the future purposes and recruiting and building momentum and, and providing a little bit of stability. But I, I mean, I still have a, some concerns. I mean, I, I think we should talk about Cade McNamara. I don't know if we want to do that later, but I think the, let's the passing do it game, now. Let's do it. Yeah, Michigan didn't, didn't rely on on Cade's arm much, but I mean, he didn't really show. I don't know. I, I wasn't really impressed with, with his performance. I thought he missed a couple reads. He hung on to the ball too long, took a big hit. The ball could have been intercepted or knocked down. I thought he could have got rid of it a second or two earlier. So I, I know I got some criticism, some emails about that he didn't need to do much as they were running the ball. Well, like, yeah, that is true. But you also would like to see a little bit more out, out of your quarterback. But I'd love to get your guys' thoughts too on, on Kate's performance. Can I say something real quick? Because I, I just want to say that that thought process can be taken to an extreme where it's like if you win a game 65, 62, nope, the defense didn't need to, you know, do the job today. The offense was there. And it's like, that's fine. But like down the road, they're going to need more out of that. Seven out of 15 is not a good percentage. That's no. the bottom line. They did throw it 15 times. So that's not a high number, but. Seven out of fifteen is, is is not good. Obviously, if that's extrapolated, extrapolated, uh, you know, to the bigger, uh, a more focus on the passing game. So I'll I'll just say that before Aaron dives in a little bit more. I and this might be controversial for some folks listening. I think this whole thing's overblown. I think if you listen to Jim Harbaugh and the players after the game Saturday, they had a clear game plan coming into this game. They wanted to run the ball. I think it was uh, uh, Ryan Hayes who said we wanted to run it down their throats. That was their goal. That's what they were planning to do. Washington couldn't stop it, so they continued to do it. Could they have, you know, thrown the ball downfield more? Sure. But when you go back and watch the game, there was a lot of pressure on K. McNamara. There were a couple of times where he had to get rid of the ball. He probably didn't get rid of it soon enough. And there, there were times when they were trying to get the ball on the outside, and Washington had that snuffed out too. So I think it's a combination of Michigan had a game plan. It was working, and they wanted to stick to it. And at the same time, not expose Cade and not expose Michigan's receivers who are clearly lacking their, their major downfield threat. Now, mm-hmm. is that because Michigan doesn't have one? They're not confident in the receivers? We'll see here in the next couple of weeks. I, the, the good thing for Michigan is they've got a few more weeks to figure this out because they can they can clearly throw the ball more against Northern Illinois if they want to. They may not. And then you've got Rutgers after that before the competition really starts to heat up. So We've seen Cade McNamara throw the ball down the field before. It's not like that we haven't seen that before. He did it against Wisconsin last year. He did it at Rutgers a couple of years or last year. He's done it before. But the, the, this tricky situation is he hasn't really had to do it. It's a, either been late in garbage time or, you know, it, I guess Rutgers was a comeback. So there's one thing. But like they didn't need to do it and they didn't want to do it. Now, part of me thinks maybe they're trying to save some of that, their playbook for, they're, they're not just not trying to expose their playbook. But we'll see. I, I think the next couple of weeks are going to be key to us 
finding out what this passing game really looks like. Because look, and we said, we talked about this last week, Michigan lost their best receiver, not only their best receiver, but their best downfield threat. Ronnie Bell not only could catch the ball and get open, but he get those yards after contact, yards after catch. And we haven't really seen that on any of the other receivers. So behind closed doors, I'm curious to see what, what how Michigan, where they get that from, because they, they clearly on Saturday weren't trying to get it from anyone else. I, I will say too that that the receivers do kind of deserve some some criticism too, and it's not all on Cade for for the lack of passing attack on, on Saturday. I mean, a couple of the quick swing passes, the uh, the receivers did a horrendous job on, on perimeter blocking. It's just like, oh my gosh, what like that's something that they've they've emphasized since Josh Gaddish has been here. They were really good in that area against Western Michigan, but I don't know if it was just. The personnel that Washington had, but it just seemed there were some, some lazy plays and just poor execution on, on a couple perimeter blocks, and that allowed Washington to, to get in the backfield and disrupt those screen passes a lot too. So, um, yeah, I, I think it just overall the the passing game wasn't very strong. Yeah, they didn't need it, but I'm sure come either Rutgers or Wisconsin or, or game come coming up that they're gonna someone's going to start loading the box a little bit more and forcing more downfield throws. And we'll see if, if Michigan can make that adjustment. There were two passing plays that kind of stuck out with me from Saturday's game. One, you mentioned the swing pass to quorum on the outside where there was no perimeter blocking. Mike Sandler still just missed his guy, but there, there were Washington, a bunch of guys were on the ball there too. So I'd, even if Sandler still had gotten a block, I don't know how far quorum would have gotten, but there was one play where Cade McNamara was really hurried in, in the pocket. He had a, slanting Cornelius Johnson up the middle, Cade just missed. He, Cornelius was wide open. He could have hit mm-hmm. him for 10, 15-yard play. But again, that goes back to, I think, the the, the hurry that Cade was facing. I mean, he was he was facing pressure. I think that, that was probably one knock against the offensive line on Saturday. There were times where Washington was able to get pressure. Cade didn't have enough time. At the same token, there was some questionable decision-making, too. So I, I think everyone deserves blame in that regard. Michigan for perhaps not trying to test Washington's secondary a little bit more. Cade making poor decisions and and them just sticking to the run game. But as Jim Harbaugh acknowledged post game, I mean, they had a lot of respect for Washington's defensive backs. Jim really believes they've got a pair of NFL corners there and they didn't want to test them. They just didn't, because look, had they done that and turned this into a, you know, throwing it to shoot out down the field and Cade's getting intercepted or plays are happening, then what? I mean, you rattle his confidence you put Washington in a position to potentially win the game and give them momentum. Why do that when you're running the football and it's working? And and why open up the playbook if you don't have to this early in the season? I mean, that's the thing. That's one big piece of this. The second big piece is like you hear defenses talk about, they want to make an offense one dimensional, right? We want to take away whatever their strength is and make them just only be able to do one thing. But if you're an offense and you can win being one dimensional, then you do it, especially if that one dimension is the run game because it takes off the clock. An incomplete pass stops the clock. An interception is much more likely than, a, than just a fumble from one of your running backs. So, was it conservative play calling? Yes, extremely. But I mean, when you when you win, that that's really that is all that matters. I mean, I get back to what I said about a high scoring game, but that wasn't the case here. They they won handily, and and it was all. It, it all worked together. I mean, the Washington coach, Jimmy Lake, talked about this. Like, we couldn't stop them from running. We gave them no reason to ever throw. And then our offense wasn't good enough that it gave them a reason to throw because we weren't scoring enough to ever put pressure on them. Like, it all just works works together. Looking down the line, though, I mean, I, if our listeners will will allow us this, I know there's, there's Northern Illinois and there's Rutgers, but then there's Wisconsin. And, like, Wisconsin has shown 
It's a one and one start. They lost to Penn State in the opener. Their defense is is very, very good against the run. Um, I mean, completely shut down. They shut down Penn State rushing game for the most part, 50, 50 yards on the ground for, for Penn State on 18 carries. Eastern Michigan, 18 attempts for 16 yards. I guess that probably <laughs> probably takes into account sacks. sacks in there, but maybe, yeah. I mean, Eastern Michigan got three first downs. And again, it's a middle of the tier pack max school, but still like Wisconsin was dominant there. So you figured that would be a game where Michigan would have to show both dimensions of its offense, um, you know, to be successful. That was the point I was going to make. If they get to Wisconsin and they're still trying to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball and they're not throwing and they're not able to run the ball, then I think it's time to raise the red flags and say, okay, something's up here. There's something's wrong. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point. I mean, you've got a couple more weeks. I said that with easier competition, they're probably going to try and figure some things out with the passing game. But at the same token, I would not be surprised if they come out on Saturday against Northern Illinois and do the exact same thing and run the ball um, because they're going to do it until someone stops them. And someone will. Someone will eventually mm-hmm. stop them. And at that point, Michigan's got to change their, their game plan and everything else. And you can criticize and, and, and everything else. And it's I get it. If you're a fan watching that game, it was, it was in a way, you could say it was kind of a snooze fest. Uh, if you throw out the night game and the atmosphere, I had a buddy that was there. First time he'd been, he's a big Michigan fan. First time he'd been to a game in a long, in a couple of years now. He said the atmosphere was awesome, but he left at the end of third quarter because it was like, it was boring football. So, you know, I, I get it. I understand. But at the end of the day, Jim Harbaugh wants to win. Michigan needs wins. And wasn't that the criticism last year of, of the program? They weren't winning. And now they're winning and still folks still want to criticize. So it's like you win, you, you can't, you, you know, you can't win. So, I think your buddy just wanted to race home for an internet connection to watch my post game live video. That was probably the real reason. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so what else from this game like stands out, good or bad, that is relevant going forward? Because yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll just say I'm in, I'm very impressed with like this new defensive staff, new coordinator Mike McDonald, how it's kind of all come together because the players are the same. They didn't bring in a couple, you know, high impact transfers. You know, they, they lost some, some really talented players. Sure. Some of the, all the returners are one year older and all that, but uh, that's true across the board in college football. Like, so I, I just think they've taken a, they've taken a step, you know, relative to their peers. That's been impressive defensively. Yeah. You guys don't need to riff off that to take it wherever you want, but yeah. What, what else did, did you want to talk about from this game? No, I, I agree with you. I, I think the defense is probably a f- uh, you know a few miles ahead of where where we thought it would be at this point. I, you can tell there's been buying from the players and the coaching staff. They they they're buying into what they're being told and taught and encouraged to do because you're seeing guys rally around the ball and make plays and it, it almost seems like the the atmosphere and the camaraderie. It's it's just it's a different team. It's a different unit. You get a different vibe from the players that they're there to play every game. And there's no now look they're they're two zero, so that helps. I mean, winning always helps. And, and but right when when you when you go back and watch the tape, plays were made. They're go, running the ball. They're getting the quarterback. It's almost like this is how Don Brown's defense should have looked. In fact, during the, the broadcast on Saturday when they were sending the blitzes. Uh, when they were playing man coverage and outside, well, I think Sean McDonough even said he's like, "This is this reminds me of Don Brown's defense." So it's, I think the energy is higher, and that's your that's why you're seeing results on the defensive side of the ball. The one thing that's been missing, and we didn't again, we didn't see it on Saturday, was was a turnover at least from the, from the secondary. Uh, yeah, we three. saw the one on a on a fourth down anyway, where the running back I don't want to say just threw it, but 
it was in the end, I think it cost the defense a couple of yards of field position. So yeah, they technically have one to their ledger, but yeah, no, no interceptions or kind of big, big swing play on the turnover department. Right. And I think that's something they've been really stressing. And we talked to Steve Klinkscale, the, the passing game coordinator last week, and he was really stressing that. I think Vince Gray got his hand on one to, or on Saturday. Should, he should have had one. And I think that's the next step for this defense. We've talked about it, but they're, they're getting the football. They're making plays. It seems like they're adjusting well because, look, they've been throwing it a lot. They're playing a lot of different looks and scheme, a lot, lot differently than they did last year. So there's more responsibility and they're still trying to get all that down. Um, but given all the changes and everything, they've, they've really looked like a good a good group. What's kind of been su- surprising to me, especially in this last game, I know Michigan played a ton of guys on defense in the opener, which you were kind of expecting because they're up so big. But even against Washington, I mean, they were rotating guys when it was a, a close game as well. And I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just a little bit surprising to see how much they're, they're changing their personnel on defense, changing up the looks. Um, it, it looks like that Mike McDonald ha- has a plan and likes to incorpor- keep guys fresh and, and incorporate different looks. So far, it's working. But, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter if they're true freshmen or or seniors. It, it, it's hard to kind of just tell who's a, a starter sometimes just because they've been rotating so many guys in at, at different positions, especially along the, the defensive line and, and outside linebackers, too. They've been getting, giving a lot of guys runs there and so far, they've been, they've been getting decent production from from whoever they've been putting out there. Let's not ignore the the elephant in the room here. Uh, every big, all fourteen Big Ten teams played on Saturday. The conference went there were uh, and it was all non conference action on Saturday. Yes, just confirming that conference went twelve and two. Illinois got blown out at Virginia, and the other team to lose was Ohio State, oh. number three in the country. You know, preseason picked by pretty much everyone to win the East and win the Big Ten and potentially go to the playoff and all that. So how many touchdowns does Michigan beat Ohio State by this year? Then? Well, okay. What I was going to say is, does it change uh, what you're thinking at all about the big picture? We already talked about Wisconsin. We looked a little bit more ahead, but let's just talk. Let's, let's zoom out even more. Yeah, Michigan's chances here in, in the Big Ten from what you've seen through two weeks now. Small sample size, but there's only 12 games. You know, it's not it's not crazy to start talking about it. Well, I, I said this before the season started, but I thought in, in some ways Ohio State was going to be vulnerable. Uh, I mean, then you started a new quarterback. We've seen he's he's been he's looked okay at times, but he's looked he's struggled in others. And Ohio State's defense still isn't top of the line. I mean, they were bad. They were bad against Oregon. Yeah, Oregon. and even. Even if you go back to last year, look statistically, everyone liked to like you know rip on on Michigan's secondary. Statistically, Ohio State was giving up more passing yards than Michigan was last year. So like their secondary hasn't been good for a few years now, uh, and you're starting to see that kind of you know bear fruit now. I don't think Ohio State's the runaway favorite to win the Big Ten now. I mean, I think they probably still will win it. Um, I haven't checked the odds lately. I don't know if they're still the odds on favorite, but I, I you know Iowa. Through two, I know it's only two games, but they're really surprising, folks. Uh, Where's think, the Penn State Ohio State game at this year? You know who's that? Who who's got the home game out of that? I yeah. I think I think Penn State's kind of developing into a possible sleeper now. That, that's in Columbus. That's in Columbus. Right. Uh, day before uh, Halloween. Um, the fact that it's in Columbus doesn't necessarily make it automatic. Because you saw right. what happened with Oregon on Saturday. I I will say this: I had to put my AP pool together this week. And it was incredibly diff- difficult, not only ranking Ohio State, but deciding whether to put Iowa ahead of them or not. Did you? 
I didn't. I don't. I didn't see the final eight people. Oh, I did, but I can't remember what they had. But I ranked Ohio State a little higher than I think they they ended up. I think they were like nine or ten in the AP poll this week. I had them seven. I had them one spot against Iowa. I was I was weighing. I'm like, if, in head to head matchup right now, who would you take? And I'd probably take Ohio State, but I, I think the gap is clearly I think is closed. I had Ohio State seven, Iowa eight. I think they were a little higher. I think Iowa was like fifth or something this week. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll be doing my Big Ten power rankings, not as maybe prestigious as the uh, Associated Press top twenty-five poll, but uh, yeah, I certainly have some some things to think about with some with some shakeups near near the top potentially. Yeah, it's just it's just an interesting question given how Ohio State looked. I mean, I thought you know they kind of lost that game in the trenches. To be honest, I, I you know I thought Oregon won the matchup so long along the offensive you know and, and defensive lines. And then, yeah, you mentioned just Ohio State's defense in general. And the, I, I think they needed a Justin Fields-type performance to win that game, the way the defense was going. And Stroud has is, is been inaccurate to, to be polite, you know, through, through two games. You know, hit some big plays, but, you know, miss some makeable, makeable passes. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm looking, I'm looking at bowl predictions right now. I see one from Michigan in the, in the Music City Bowl. That's a December 30th bowl. Yeah. Okay. And then another one's got them. They usually do two different people. Oh, and one's got them in the Outback Bowl, January one bowl. But not 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 anyone willing to pull that trigger to put them in the upper echelon above Ohio State or Iowa or even probably I would guess behind the pecking order Penn State and, and Wisconsin even potentially. Um, but yeah, let's get into Big Ten play before we start diving into too much bowl stuff. Absolutely. Here's how I'll explain how I, the differences I think in in from where I think of Ohio State compared to before the season started to now, mm-hmm. if I had to handicap the Michigan-Ohio State game before the season started, I probably would have put the line somewhere between, somewhere in the 28 to 31 point range. Wow. I would think Michigan would, or Ohio State would blow them out as we've seen years past. Now, I think it's probably like a closer to like a two touchdown game. I, I think Michigan could be competitive. Um, they've, they've clearly established a run game. I think that they look better than some folks think. Um, but again, we got a long way to go. I mean, we've got nine sure. more games. We've got the Big Ten schedules to, to 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 play out. We'll see where Ohio State's defense goes, and we'll see if Michigan can continue to be as dominant on the ground as they have been. But you know, I, I think uh, Michigan's trending up, Ohio State's trending down. But I, I still don't think they're you know in the same ballpark. We should talk about this rivalry game a little bit later in the season, but I think one opponent to, to look out for that's not as, I thought it was a win at the start of the year, but now it's, I don't think it's as set in stone is, is mission state. I thought, think their offense has been super impressive. The first two games I did, I know this week was against Youngstown state, but, but with what they've been able to do offensively, it's like, all right, is this, is this team cor- turning the corner under Mel Tucker? It, it'll be interesting to see. So another team to kind of look out for yeah well, again like we all said we are just getting a little ahead of ourselves <laughs> here there's you know a game to be played next week against northern illinois it's a noon kickoff everybody so we go from eight o'clock to noon thank god i didn't get out of the um, you, you guys left before me i didn't get out of the press box to like 3 30 i was the last one out but i didn't wait for you to walk uh wow, walk back guy. to my house then my my walk was a lot farther than I thought. I, I, I told you, point. man, that was that was an oh, interesting decision by, yeah. by you. But then you know you're still kind of hyped up. I didn't go to sleep right when I went home either. So no, uh, no. Anyway, but yes, Northern Illinois. They beat Georgia Tech in the opener. They erased a 26 point deficit late in the third quarter yesterday. Eventually, took taking a, a one point lead 
against Wyoming only to allow a TD with like 90 seconds left and then lost 50 to 43, but an absolutely wild game, uh, Northern Illinois, Wyoming, but yeah, Northern Illinois, um, another Mac school, you know, we'll, we'll see what, uh, you know, the, the spread I saw Aaron had the story 20 something. Yes. Yeah. It opened in Las Vegas this afternoon at 24 and a half. Everyone else seemed to, a couple hours later, it's since jumped to 27. So Michigan's basically pegged to win this game by four touchdowns. Yeah, 27 point. I mean, that's, that's, this is expected to be Michigan's, was expected to be Michigan's easiest uh, game on the schedule. And I don't think anything has, has changed uh, on that front yet. All right. Well, we will be previewing that matchup more in depth later in the week and stay tuned for coverage on MLive.com slash Wolverines of what we learned throughout the week. Thank you for listening.